0: But um, sorrow, Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Very, very familiar psalm. Psalm of David. Hear God's holy word. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of dawn. Your youth are as to you as the dew, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing passage as we consider the kingship, the lordship of your beloved Son, our blessed Savior. Some of these things, Lord, they're not customary for us to use this kind of a language in reference to you, Jesus Christ, you who are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You who don't lift up your voice in the street and you won't break a a bruised reed. But we see, Lord, another aspect of of your divine character. Help me, gracious God, be gracious tonight, faithful to the word, both in the content and even in the delivery, that you would receive glory and honor, and for your people, that you would build us up, that we would believe in you, Jesus Christ, as you were presented to us in the pages of Holy Scripture. We pray this in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is our series, as you know, in the book of Psalms. We finished the book of Ezekiel, 48 48 sermons, so it took us a year to get through Ezekiel. I'm still trying to consider what Old Testament book I'm going to look at next for a series. I'll let you know when I get there. And so I had decided to um, to do various topicals in the book of Psalms. And then through a number of things, I thought, well why don't I do kind of a series rather than just love one week and maybe justice another week? Let's have a a unified series from the Psalms. And since I believe the Bible is fundamentally a presentation of Jesus Christ, I thought, well, why don't we look at Christ as he's presented to us in the Psalms? And I chose Psalms where we could find a New Testament counterpart that clearly says this particular psalm is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I found 23, 24, 25, something like that. So that will be the length of our series, and that's my intention. Psalm 110 is quoted a number of times in the New Testament, uh, all referring back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord said to my Lord, "You, you shall be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Just as an aside, in the church of my youth, this is the kind of language that they apply at the ordination of their priests, which I would never do that. I would never apply this to the ordination of a human priest. Um, This is the ordination of the God-man, the high high priest singular, as the book of Hebrews. The the book of Hebrews exegetes the book of Leviticus. Jesus is the high priest, Uh, not after the Levites, not after the Aaronical priest but singular, so he's a unique priest. I would never use this language for the ordination of an ordinary so-called priest, but the church of my youth does. But the Bible says, we'll, we'll look at it, this clearly refers to our uh, Jesus Christ. So our purpose is to, to, to look at Christ. Who, who or what is Christ as he is presented to us in the pages of Scripture? The Bible calls us to be Bereans. The Bible tells you As an individual believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to test every spirit, to test me, and to see is the is the Christ that they're preaching the Christ of the Bible, is Christ being preached? So I have a responsibility before the Lord to as faithfully as I can rightly divide and rightly dispense, both in content and in tone, the word of God, and then you have a responsibility. So preaching, the reformation reformed Christians believe in what's called the dialogical principle of worship. It's a fancy phrase. It means worship is a dialogue. God speaks to you through the ministry of the Word, and then we speak back in the ministry of prayer and praises. And so I am to be active in the delivery of God's Word, preaching Jesus Christ. But you are to be equally active in the hearing, in the reception, and in the inculcating of God's truth. And you're to be checking uh, everything that I say against the Word of Truth for yourself. And so um, we, we are both, respectively, to be considering Christ as he is presented to us in the Scripture. We have said this many, many times. Paul commends the people of Berea. They were more noble than the people of Thessalonica, because everything the Apostle Paul said, they took their Bible out, and they said, is that the Christ of the Bible? And the reason I'm kind of giving this preface, much as I said this morning, we live in the last days, which is a time of the great falling away, apostasy. Apostasy. And I didn't reference it, but Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's coming a time, in the time in which we live, where people are not going to put up with the Bible preaching. They're not going to put up with the Jesus of the Bible. They want something else. They want doctrine things that tickle the ears, which is another way of, say, that titillates the flesh, something which is pleasurable to the flesh. And Paul tells Timothy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he he should be decided in resistance to that and that we should resist the desire from, I would argue, goats wanting goat food, and we should instead be faithful shepherds and feed Christ's lambs what Christ's lambs want, which is the Christ of the Bible. Um, And so we want to be good Bereans as we sit under the ministry of the Word, as we read the Word. Are we believing in, loving, and serving the Christ of the Bible, knowing that there are many different Christs? We looked at the... We looked a little bit at the humiliation of Jesus. I intend, as I say, next week to look at more. We're looking at the kingship of Jesus Christ uh, tonight in Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, it presents two offices of Jesus. We, We speak of Christ as mediator. When Christ became flesh and became mediator, the Bible says, unlike, again, the church of my youth, there are not a multitude of mediators. There's only one mediator between God and man. And I know if you're raised in a Protestant church, you don't think think Christians have other mediators. I prayed to St. Patrick almost every day of my life. I prayed to the Virgin Mary almost every day of my life. I prayed to get my grandfather out of purgatory from the time I was seven to 17. So, beloved, there are people that call themselves Christians that have a multitude of other mediators other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says there's one mediator. I've been reading on Zwingli lately because I didn't know anything about Zwingli. In Zwingli was like a hammer. Only the Bible, only the Bible, only the Bible. Not councils, not popes, Bible. Show me the Christ of the Bible. I I believe that. that. That's why I'm a Protestant. Bible, 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 Bible. And so we're looking at mediator Christ, one mediator, Christ. And then as we read from our secondary standard, which is an accurate summary of our primary standard, which is the Bible, we say that our mediator, Jesus, holds a threefold office. He is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. In this particular psalm, looking at Jesus Christ, the Bible says here we're looking at two two offices which are not joined ordinarily in, in the scripture. We see uh, he is priest and he is king. And um, we see Ezekiel, I think, Ezekiel is a prophet and a priest. David sometimes is, you can see he does priestly things and he is he prophesies that he's a king. So David comes close to kind of mirroring that threefold office. But Jesus here is a priest and king, so those are two of his offices as our mediator. And as we mentioned this morning, we talked about the estates of Jesus, his humiliation, that is from his conception, certainly from his birth, all the way to to his burial. That's his humiliation. His estate of exaltation begins at his resurrection, his ascension, his session, his ruling and reigning and interceding, and when he comes again to judge the living and and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So those are the two estates. And Christ is our mediator, our prophet, our priest, and king, both in his estates of humiliation and exaltation. And I'm going to bring that out when we try to unpack some of the things dealing with the kingship of Jesus. But if I were to take Psalm 110 and you were just to walk through it, now as a believer, without being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, without the gift of saving faith, which is wrought in us by God the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, it's a gift of God the Holy Spirit. Without faith in Christ, given to you by God, the Bible is a closed book. So you could be a 4.0 student, you could have a master's, a Ph.D., you could have all of those things, but without faith in Jesus, I could tell you, read Psalm 110, and who are you looking at? And what does it tell you about the person you're looking at? And you would come to the wrong conclusion. This is a Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that the person who is in the flesh and lives according to the flesh, they cannot understand the word of God. Cannot. Cannot. Dead in their sins and trespasses, so I ask you as a believer, as a believer looking at the Bible, this passage, what, what's the subject? Obviously it's going to be Christ. And the Lord said to my Lord, but, but again, I have given this sermon the, the, the title, The Kingship of Jesus. Is that legitimate from the passage? Are we looking at King Jesus who is victorious over his enemies and then for his people? Notice the language your enemies, your people, your enemies, your people. And then towards the very end, you're looking at a, an ancient oriental king who is having victory over his enemies. So clearly, this is kingly language. So it's in reference to Jesus Christ as our, as our king. We we can't really subdivide the offices of Jesus. He's a little bit Lord here. He's a little bit Savior here. He's a little bit King here. He's a little bit... He's all of them. But we do this in order to understand better all of the things that Christ is and has done and is doing for us. So we're looking at the language of God, the Holy Spirit, who inspires David to write these words about David's Son, he comes, uh, he comes from the loins of King David and David's Lord, as Christ uh, stymied the um, Pharisees one time when he said, well, whose son is the Messiah? And they said, well, it's um, David's son. And then he said, how then does he call him my Lord? And they didn't want to say, because after David, human flesh, but he's God come in the flesh. So we're looking at uh, the language of kingship being applied to the Lord Jesus. I want to say a couple of things, and it's also maybe a carryover uh, from the themes, some of the themes I opened up the morning sermon with, given the day and the age in which we live. Um, Our brother brought this out in Sunday school. I was thinking many, many things. He was talking about um, there, there really was no golden age going back to the 1950s, going back even to the Puritans, There was no golden age. Uh, The land of my birth, uh, you can read uh, William Bradford's uh, uh, Plymouth Plantation Diaries. You think, well, certainly in 1620 and so on, it was probably like perfect. Uh, It was anything but perfect. So there's no golden age. However, as our brother George was teaching, I kept thinking uh, of my mother. My mother was raised in Plymouth, born and raised in Plymouth. When she was in high school, they sang Psalm 22. They prayed the Lord's Prayer. When she went to nursing school in in Boston, they continued to pray in nursing school. This is in the life of my mother. And so from the short time of my mom to me to now, they would probably arrest you if you tried to sing Psalm 22 or say the Lord's Prayer in a public school. So from the the life of my mom to now, things have changed. Although things have changed, but... Maybe it's just the packaging change. Part of the, the cultural change in our day and age is an attack, as our brother, again, brought out in Sunday school. It's a repudiation of some of the basics of the Christian faith. That This is why the OPC added a fifth membership vow re, re, dealing with the, tr- the nature of the Trinity and the two natures of Jesus Christ. We just assumed prior to a couple of years ago adding it that we lived in a Christian nation that most people that come and say I'm a believer in Jesus that, that they mean that he's the second person of the Godhead come in the flesh. And now we had to specifically add it because we live in such a, I, I would say, a neo-pagan world that we can't assume that people believe in the triune God when they profess faith in Jesus and that they understand the two natures of Jesus. So we added that. But one of the things that has creeped into, I guess, the, the sinfulness of our um, present culture is the attack on, and I I hope I'm I'm understood rightly, Jesus is a king. He's not a queen. And I, I don't mean to be funny at all. This is the language of a king. He's the language of a warrior king, an oriental warrior king. You have the notions of traditional, I guess I have to say it, traditional masculinity, aggression, warfare, conquering, swords, scepters, victory, all of these things. The modern culture in which we live rejects that. We reject anything male, manliness. And again, I'm not arguing that we should have tattoos and walk around with muscle shirts and and be hype. I think hyper-masculinity is silly. Uh, There's a guy sitting in in a Romanian jail who sold hyper-masculinity, which is not biblical masculinity. It's just ridiculousness. So walking around cussing and drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and, and being ugly, to some people, that's masculine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Bible presentation of manliness, masculinity, and, and that's all wrapped up in the kingship of Jesus. He's, the language of the Bible is he is a warrior king in the land that we live in right now. Women have become masculine and they have feminized men and women rule like men and men cower before mannish women like children. That's our culture. That's our culture. And we're taught to tell our boys to wear tights and and to be women like and our girls to be super aggressive and to be male like. And I know this is a fact and, and what is this but an attack on the Christian faith? It's an attack on the nature of God. It's it's an attack. Christ is, the Christ of our culture is, he's a toothless tiger. I just listened to a sermon on a Christ which is all sentimental love. There's none of this. There's no Psalm 110 in the modern unmanned Christ. They've taken away the manness of Christ and they've made him a toothless tiger. It's all sentimentalism. Beloved, do you want a Savior that is a mighty king? Or do you want a toothless Christ? A feminine Christ? I, I Again, I feel bad that I even have to say this. Because I know I'm going to ruffle people's feathers, but I don't want to. I want us to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. The Father. The language of the Father is Father. The language of the Holy Spirit is male. The language of Christ has come in the flesh. He's a male. Again, not hyper silly maleness. But he's a warrior king. And I, I, I know people say, well, that's Pauline's view. It's not Pauline's view it's the God the Holy Spirit's view. Paul didn't write Psalm 110. God the Holy Spirit wrote it through the pen of, of King David. And so immediately, if we say this is the Christ of the Bible, what will happen in our culture? You will be attacked. What is it when they, they call, what is, it, what is it to be canceled? You, you've heard that all of these phrases are new. These are new things that we have to deal with as Christians. What does it mean to be canceled? That means you're gonna be bullied to shut up with what you believe. That's what that means. You can't believe what you believe about Jesus. We'll cancel you. How how will that work? I got a call from a dear sister. This is how it will work. Do you like your job as a nurse? Then you fill out this job uh, 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 survey. Are you an ally of homosexuality? Are you you an ally of transgenderism? Well, I'm a Christian. There's no space for you're a Christian. Will you bend? And if you don't, what will happen to you? Our brother talked about persecution this morning. What will happen to you if you don't bend? And say, my Jesus loves what you love. You'll be out of work. You'll be out of work. And here's what I'm going to say. No amount of bullying by even the most aggressive, authority-hating, Christ-hating bully, male or female, can ever unman our Christ? Ever? There is no satanic power over Christ. There is no fallen angelic power over Christ, and there is no bully human over Christ. The whole world could stand up and say, "This is not the Christ I follow." Then you don't follow the Christ of the Bible. Again, Zwingli said he didn't care if he was a if he was a minority of one. If the Bible said it, that's what he was going to hold to. It's a long point to make. Beloved, you know that I'm telling you the truth. If you say, this is the Christ I believe, this Christ, oh, they'll let you have a Christ in our culture, a Christ of their own fallen, Christ-hating mind. We can't have this Christ. We can't have a Christ that puts down him. What's the language of the, the end of this passage? How will he win over his enemies? How will he win in this passage? He'll defeat them. He'll take away their life. Revelation 14, Revelation 19, there's going to be a wine press. Of what? Of the wrath. Revelation chapter 6, the wrath of who? The Lamb. This is Psalm 110. This is our Christ. And then, and then he, he tells us in this passage, against my enemies and for my people. Against my enemies, for my people. We want this, beloved. We want this. We are the frog in the pot. We are, built, we are Christians in this room. I know everyone in this room. We're Christians. We love the Christ of the Bible. But do not kid yourself that our culture rubs off on us and it's imperceptible. We can think, no, it's not getting on me. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Listen to the Christ that we believe in. And I'm going to tell you categorically you do not want a Christ that is not this kind of king. You'd still be bound to the devil and not on your way to heaven. So, it's a simple psalm. It's a. The truth contained of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. He is a warrior king. I want to read. I just referenced Revelation chapter 19. And I'm going to read this because sometimes Christians become like Marcion, the heretic. They think the God of the Old Testament was kind of like this. But the God of the New Testament is just all sentimentalism along the lines of what I just critiqued. But, beloved, there is no God of the Old Testament, and then he becomes a new God of the New Testament as if there's two gods. Shema, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and the Bible says he is unchangeable. Revelation 19, this is is the counterpart. Verse 11, I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, this is our king, who sat on it is called faithful and true righteousness. He judges and he wages war. His eyes are like flames of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's Psalm 110. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in the heavens clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white robes. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Psalm 2, Psalm 45, Psalm 110 Comes a and then comes a sharp sword so that he might, might strike down the nations, Psalm 2. He will rule them with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thighs he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's this. I've mentioned many, many times before the way that you were raised religiously, let's just say you were raised in some stripe of Christianity, the way that you were raised, that will, that will stick with you the way, the, till you die. I am a flaming, reformed, high Calvinist Protestant, but the church of my youth, the Roman Catholic upbringing that I got, it stuck with me. I can remember when they laid Joe, uh, John Paul II out and my wife was making dinner, and I was a minister here, and I'm watching them give the, 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 the funeral mass, and my wife said, what, what, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? And I had tears rolling down my eyes. You cannot get that out of you. I'm, and I kind of say, I'm a Protestant. I'm a minister. I, they don't have the gospel. We have the gospel. You try being raised a certain way, and you think that you're going to get that out. And I'm saying that to say this. However you are raised as a Christian, That's going to influence how you see the Bible, how you see the Christ of the Bible. We need to let the Bible, we need to let the Bible influence everything that we think, not the training of mom and dad. It's hard. It is hard. But this is the Christ of the Bible. There are many homes where we present a part of a Christ in a right part of a Christ. What would happen? We believe election as Reformed Christians. We believe election. I have a good friend of mine. He's a Southern Baptist, and they don't—they believe a strange form of election. And he came to the church one time, and I was teaching something, but it was about Jesus. He said, well, "I thought you—all you did, you guys, you Presbyterian, you Reformed people—you just talked about election. You just sat around and talk about election, beloved." Sometimes when people become Reformed. And their non reformed people meet their reformed family members who are new reformed, everything out of their mouth, past the kitchen, past the chicken, past the potatoes. Do you want to talk about predestination? Everything. If we make the Christian doctrine all election, have we taken a lawful thing and have we used it unlawfully? Yes. Yes. We want to hold the Bible in the proportion that the Bible presents anything. So the Christ that we present to ourselves, to our children, to our children's children as I prayed, we want it to be the the full-orbed picture of Jesus Christ. Even if there are things about Christ that frighten us. And beloved, there are things about Christ that frighten us. Because we cannot tame him. We cannot tame him. He's not a toothless tiger. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Does he love us? Is he kind? Is he gentle to his children? Of course but he is not tameable. And we see some of the things, not only do we have the general language of king, we have some of the trappings of king, kingship and lordship being attributed to Jesus Christ. He, has a, he sits on a throne, and he sits at the right hand of God. This is the power hand of God, so to speak. Um, Luke 22 uh, Sixty-eight. And, and, and if I ask a question, this is the, the the Sanhedrin questioning Jesus, and you will not answer. But from now on, this is a, this is Christ. Christ says, "The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God, the power of God." That's how Christ. He's seated the the fit, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. According to his divinity, he's everywhere. According to his humanity, he has locality. I don't believe in the doctrine of ubiquity as the Lutherans preach it. I don't understand it, but since I don't understand it, I don't believe it. I don't believe the physical body of Jesus is ubiquitous. I think Christ is ubiquitous according to his divine nature, but he has locality according to his human nature because he's a real man and real human beings are not ubiquitous. And I know I probably am not understanding something in Lutheranism, but that's neither here nor there. Jesus Christ is physically somewhere, his body, his body, And we're told he's at the right hand of God. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, This Jesus God raised up, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured this forth, this is according to Joel chapter 2, which you both see and hear, with the, 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 the tongues of fire and the speaking in tongues, and the rushing wind, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, and this is a quoting of Psalm 110, applied to Christ. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is the Oriental language. This is that warrior warrior king. Was it David? A couple of them. They would defeat their enemies. And when their enemy was defeated, they would they would take the king and they would make him lie down before uh, the, uh, for, before the victorious king and the king would put his foot, or someone would put their foot on the neck of the defeated. That's the language that's applied to our Christ. But he is for us, and because he's for us, he's against his and our enemies. You're saying, well, Pastor John, this is kind of church militant idea. Yes, it is, but before anyone misunderstands, I'm not regular post-millennialism, but post-millennialism, reconstruction, all those forms of things which I utterly repudiate. The church does not wield the sword. The church wields the, the word of God. The state wields the sword. I'm not a pacifist. You can have self-defense. You can have just war. Uh, and you can have capital, just capital punishment. But other than that, the church does not wield the sword. So when you look at this, you think, aha, when do we throw rocks through the window at the Tai Chi Center? Never. You never throw rocks through the Tai Chi Center windows. Why? You should love them, you should be kind for them, and you should pray for them and be Christ-like to them. When we're looking at this business of Christ putting down the enemies, it's Christ putting down the enemies. I had one guy in the church, he loved to study, oh, back in the, in the, the founding of the country, this minister preached, pick up your gun and shoot people. That minister said, preach up your gun and shoot people. Zwingli, 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 Zwingli. Preach, pick up your gun and shoot people. Shoot Catholics. And how did he die? Live by the sword? What? Die by the sword. And Luther said it was God's punishment on him. He's a minister. He should have never done this. Study Luther. That's another thing. But when we come here, this is Jesus defeating his enemies. I don't want any person ever associated with Covenant OPC to say, you know what, we're the church militant. Therefore, we're going to go down to the hunting store and load up on guns because we're going to win. Never do that. Vengeance doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. We'd kill Christians. We would kill Christians if we did this. I'm a fan of watching documentaries, World War II documentaries. It's utterly, I can't even understand it. At Christmas time, the Germans would stop fighting and the Allies would stop fighting. They would say it's Christmas time and they would sing hymns and psalms and they would smoke cigarettes and exchange chocolate and fellowship. Christian killing Christian. So this is why... I. But it's Christ that defeats the enemies. We don't. And he says, I will put down the enemies. The church, we do not put down the enemies. There is a guy, very famous post-millennialist. You probably have his books in your home. In the beginning of his ministry, he would preach just like this towards the end of the ministry when people, not enough people were becoming Christians and not the right kind of Christians. He was trying to overcome the academy and those kind of things and they weren't being converted. He was dabbling around with using, using the sword. No, 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 no. Christ wields that. He sits at the right hand of, of, of the Father, and he wields a strong scepter. And some of your translations may say, the, the, the strong, the rod of thy strength, or something like this. This is, a, again, a, 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 a trapping of an Oriental king that denoted his power. Jesus Christ says, all power and all authority has been given to me oh, to rule. So there are two senses. When we talk about the kingship or the lordship of God, Psalm 95 is this way. Um, we, we can separate God as king over creation, which would include God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible, the Psalms are replete with God as king over creation, Psalm 119, the heavens declare the glory. Job 38, Job 39, to the end of Job, God says to Job, as king over all creation, hey, Job, were you there when I did all of this stuff? And what did Job do at the very end? I'm sorry, you are king and I'm not. That's considering God as king over creation. But what we're looking at is kind of derivative of that. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person in particular being king over his church. So there are a number of psalms that speak of God generically as king over creation. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20 or 20, 21, I forget which, in verse one says, God moves the hearts of a king like a what? Like a river. This is to, to, to all our free will kind of friends. They're just so obsessed with the free will of man. They don't really care about the free will of God. And one of the things that they'll say is, well, God kind of seeds his authority and he never violates the free will of man. That to me is so silly. It's not, if, if that were true, no one would be converted. And it's, it's so against the Bible because the Bible says God does whatever he wants with the hearts of men. God says to Pharaoh, I raised you up so I could knock you down. It's so antithetical. Our secondary standards, when it talks about the providence of God, God governs all his creatures in all their actions. That's God as creator. But what we're looking at here is, is, is Christ as king over his church. And it says he'll rule in the midst of his enemies. And right now he rules providentially by his word and by his spirit. He restrains the enemies of Christ's church. Our secondary standards say, which are accurate representation of our primary standard, there will always be a church on the earth to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, always. I, I've told the church a million times. I am—I have a, a melancholy bent. That's bent. true. It's a sin. I pray against it. It's not—it's not fitting of a Christian to be have a melancholy bent, especially not of a minister. But I do, and I repent against it and fight against it. But I'll tell you what—I I do not live a dejected life. We don't serve a Christ that loses. Christ wins. He rules in the midst of his enemies. When Satan said, "Let's see if we can get the." the servant to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. He thought he was going to win. Did he win? He had the church, the Jews, uh, vote to kill Jesus. He had the state, Pontius Pilate, vote to kill Jesus. I'm going to win. I'll kill the Christ. Did he win? He rules in the midst of his enemies because our, our Christ is king. And the Lord Jehovah, the Lord Yahweh, said to the Lord Adonai, this is the second person of the Trinity, the, the, the Trinity." The Christ that we love and we serve and we worship is God come in the flesh. This is why J.C. Ryle, I've said before, I love him. He has a sermon on the wrath of the Lamb from Revelation chapter six. And you may accuse me of being wide-eyed, and I tend to be wide-eyed. You can't accuse J.C. Ryle of being wide-eyed. Here's a man that's so Christ-focused, it's ridiculous, which is why I love him. But then he says, read, 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 read Revelation chapter six. And who's under the altar saying to Jesus, "How long, O oh Lord, who? The people that were beheaded for the cause of Christ? And what does Christ say? And told, that "Your other brothers are going to die for my name's sake, and then I'll come back. And then I'll bring justice. Beloved, that's the Christ we serve. He is against his enemies, and he's against our enemies. We don't have to fight. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And we, you know, um, we are called to pick up our cross and to follow Christ and to fight and to labor and strive. All of those things are true. I've said it a million times. The Christian life is an active life. But the longer I live and the more I try to comprehend the sovereignty, the kingship, the lordship of this I wonder if while we're thinking we're fighting and wrestling and doing and if Jesus is really just carrying us. (laughs) The battle is not really ours. We don't have to... The the political season's starting up. I always want to throw up. The battle is not ours. The battle belongs to our Christ. And our enemies, who are our enemies for Jesus Christ's sake, Christ one day will make them not our enemies in one of two ways. And I know for myself, there's only one way I want Christ to make my enemies right now, not my enemies. But I'm not the one who gets to pick. And that's to convert them. And then the other way that Christ will make our enemies not to be our enemies is some of the ways that he says in Psalm 110. But either way, the Bible says that he can make even those who are opposed to us to cease from their enmity And to be friendly towards us. The battle belongs to Christ. And our Christ. Our Christ is king. And he's the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. And he's for us. He's for you. And I pray to God. That we would believe in him. And we would trust in him all the days of our lives. Because someday we're going to see Christ come back. In all of his kingly splendor. Amen? Amen. Amen. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.